This morning we heard the proclamation of God's word from Acts 4 about the Lord Jesus Christ as being the only savior. And that sermon was chosen in connection with the Lord's Day for this afternoon, which is on the similar theme. Lord's Day 11, which has the heading of God the Son and our redemption. And there we have the questions about who the Son of God is. On page 526 of the Book of Praise, we have Lord's Day 11, the questions and answers 29 and 30. Why is the Son of God called Jesus, that is, Savior? Because he saves us from all our sins, and because salvation is not to be sought or found in anyone else. Do those who seek their salvation or well-being in saints, in themselves, or anywhere else, also believe in the only Savior, Jesus? No. Though they boast of him in words, they in fact deny the only Savior, Jesus. For one of two things must be true. Either Jesus is not a complete Savior, or those who by true faith accept this Savior must find in him all that is necessary for their salvation. Thus far. After the sermon, let us sing from hymn 80, the stanzas 1, 5, and 6. Hymn 80, 1, 5, and 6. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, I'm sure that everyone here has a favorite book or song. And every once in a while we pick up the book and we read the favorite sections, or we play that song for the umpteenth time. And we do so not because we don't know the story or the song, but because the story and the music are so captivating and soothing. Well, Lord's Day 11 is like a favorite story. It is music to our ears to hear about the salvation in Jesus Christ. And of course, we know the story well. We know how the Son of God became man and how he received the name Jesus. That is familiar territory. And therefore, when we listen once again to what you and I confess in this Lord's Day, we do not do so in order to hear something new and profound, but because the message of salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ is so powerful, so captivating, and in a way, soothing. For you see, hearing about the salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ is powerful because we may hear time and again that the worst of sins can be forgiven. And hearing about salvation in Christ Jesus is captivating because the more we become aware of and involved in Christ's saving work, the more it speaks to us and the more it makes us realize that we have received the greatest gift ever given. And knowing about salvation in Christ Jesus is soothing because it comforts and consoles us far beyond our wildest dreams that God is merciful and gracious. And therefore it is essential to know about Jesus and who he is for you personally. And with that in mind, we listen to our confession about God the Son and our redemption. And again, two points. The first one, Christ Jesus is God's unique gift. And the second point is Christ Jesus is our unique Savior. 
Let me begin with a question. Who is the Lord Jesus for you? I ask the question because some think of him as some kind of hero. And this notion that Jesus is a hero, that isn't anything new. Even though he was not called a hero by the people he ministered to, he certainly was treated like one. When his fame became so known and began to spread, the people came to him from all over. And they loved to hear what he said. They loved to see the miracles he performed. And he, they treated him like a superstar. And the other ones here may remember that in the 70s, there was a musical called Jesus Christ Superstar. Well, the Lord Jesus in his time was popular until the people began to realize that his ministry was not a show or a popularity contest, but that his ministry was an urgent call to repentance. And he was popular until they understood that his constant message was and is, you need to be saved from your sins and you find your salvation only in me. For you see, many times the Lord Jesus told the people, your sins are forgiven. And if you read scripture, you notice that often these were the first words he spoke because, you see, the Savior always addressed the key issue in life, and he addressed them head on. In the end, they were not interested in being told that they needed to be forgiven of their sins. No, they were really more interested in a hero. And when he constantly addressed the main ailment of sin, his superstar image fell away. For you see, the problem with heroes and superstars is that they are products of our own making, and therefore their stardom is only temporary. Stars fade away or fall out of fashion. Heroes and superstars are replaced by others. They are not lasting. But the Bible presents the Lord Jesus as the only and lasting Savior who has redeemed us from the depth and the power of hell by paying for our sins with the price of his life. And in that way, he is one of the kind and a cut above the rest. Jesus was born to save. Even before his birth, he received the name Jesus, that is, Savior. And so the biblical Jesus Christ is not a superstar. Actually, the title does not honor him at all because it doesn't tell the story. But when we say Christ Jesus, that he is my savior, you see, that precisely tells the story. Jesus Christ as superstar is a product of our own making. Christ Jesus as the savior, that is God's unique gift. And so every time we speak about the Lord Jesus Christ and take his name on our lips, we are reminded of God's great love for us. He sent his son into the world as our savior. And that love of God, that love expects in return that we love God for salvation received. And therefore, my brothers and sisters, every time we hear of and when we hear about the Lord Jesus, we are reminded how mercifully God has dealt with us. 
For we are sinners who deserve nothing from God. We do not merit anything from Him except condemnation. And yet God looked upon us in His favor. He made salvation possible for us in His Son, and by Christ's blood and Spirit, He made salvation not only possible, but He made it a reality. God's steadfast love for us is so great that He has poured out on us everything we don't deserve, namely salvation, while sparing us everything we do deserve, namely condemnation. And since he has dealt so bountifully with me as to save me, I owe him everything, especially my faithfulness and trust in him alone. But now it is a fact of life that we so easily become indifferent to repeated happenings. The more something is seen or heard, the more accustomed we grow to it, and at last we no longer pay any attention to it. We either take it for granted or we tend to ignore it. For example, is it not true that we often take the pleasantries of life for granted and that we ignore the misery that exists elsewhere in the world? Not our own misery, we complain about that. But we take the pleasantries for granted and the misery elsewhere in the world we kind of ignore. Well, similarly, we tend to take God's gift of salvation in Jesus Christ for granted, but we have a tendency to ignore sin in general and our own sinfulness in particular. And that holds true especially for sins regarding lifestyle. You see, parents condone the acts of their children because the children are really only copying the parents. For example, you can't say much to your children about drinking if at your parties you fill the counter with booze and sign with the sign, help yourself. So how will you celebrate the birthday or to get together and prevent your guests from consuming too much? Or another example would be that if parents are not diligent in their service to God, or if they are always critical and indifferent about the church, how can they expect their children to be diligent and sympathetic towards the church? See, many of our sinful acts are lifestyle-related. And that begs the question, is the reality of sin a vague notion for you, or are you well aware of its reality in your life? If sin is a vague notion, then the need for Christ in your life will not be that paramount. In fact, then the need for Christ will hardly even exist. But on the flip side, if you are well aware of the reality and existence of sin, then the heart will long for the presence of a Savior. And so true awareness of our own sinfulness urges us to be genuine in the faith and make us acknowledge that Jesus Christ is God's unique gift to us, his people. And so in chapter 2 of Paul's letter to the Philippians, we read that the name Jesus is so important that at the sound of that name, every knee should bow. And why did Paul write that? 
for the simple reason that the Son of God was willing to lay down his heavenly glory in order to be one of us and open for us the way to life with God now and eternally. And that is the reason why Paul also writes that we need to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, we need to be busy with what we know and believe about the Lord Jesus. Working out is the opposite of sitting still. Working out is an activity. So then, if we are called upon to work out our own salvation, that is, that we are busy with it, then that means that we cannot be spiritual couch potatoes. There is no room for indifference in the faith. Actually, knowing about the Lord Jesus as the Savior requires a response. And that brings us to the second point of the sermon, Christ Jesus is our unique Savior. For you see, the Lord Jesus Christ is involved in your life right from the early stages. Think, for example, for a moment how the form for baptism highlights the significance of being baptized into the name of the Son of God. We say that, that the significance is that God the Son promises us that he washes us in his blood from all our sins and unites us with him in his death and resurrection. And please notice the sentence is in the present tense. God the Son promises, he washes, he unites. That means these are things he's busy, busy with doing now. And therefore the Lord Jesus Christ is involved in your life right now. He's busy with you and with me. And now the point is we can acknowledge that as a fact and leave it at that. Or we can give him the room to become the driving force and the motivator in life. To say that differently, we can give the Lord Jesus Christ the busy signal and let him wait. Or we can stop pleasing our old self and move forward with him in the driver's seat. Now at his birth, the Son of God received the name Jesus. And he has proved that he is our Savior by voluntarily laying down his life for us. And that is the greatest gift he could give. It is his gift of love. Indeed, no one in all creation loves us so much as Christ Jesus. And that cannot leave us indifferent, my brothers and sisters. His love needs a response and needs to be returned because his love continues still today in your and my life. And you see, that is what Hebrews 5 teaches in a special way. How did the Lord Jesus show his love for us? Was it not in offering up his life in our place? He offered himself as priest. He became savior. And he is the priest who, he is the priest of priests. God designated him to be priest, not for the moment there in Golgotha, but the priest forever. 
And that means that even now the Lord Jesus Christ is our priest. He died, but he also rose again to be priest forever. And now we know that the Old Testament priests from the tribe of Levi were only in office for a number of years. But the Lord Jesus, he is a priest forever precisely in order to be Jesus. That means Savior. To be the Savior forever. And he is the Savior forever in order to save completely anyone who comes through him to God. And so it is no wonder that we say that salvation is not to be sought or found in anyone else. And therefore to ask who Jesus is, as I did at the beginning, is really an incomplete question. You see, the complete question is, who is Jesus for you? Who is he for me? And then the all-important question becomes, how are you and I? How are we busy with the Christ who is busy with you and with me, who is busy with us? How deeply are you involved with him? For he is deeply involved with you. So how deeply are you involved with him in your life, and how? Think about that question. For you see, what our Lord does not need or want is uncommitted Christians. What he does not need are people who sit on the fence. What he cannot save are people who do not need him all the way. That is, people who do not completely submit to him. We need to realize that to the core, my brothers and sisters. We need to realize that to the core, the essence of Christianity is not a theology, but the essence of Christianity is the living presence of Jesus Christ himself. And therefore, faith in him cannot be passive. It has to be living and active. And so we need to remind ourselves of that time and again. It is so easy to withdraw into a shell and live an inactive kind of faith. And perhaps that is because we are so easily misled by the word believe. You see, in the everyday English, to believe means that you admit to the truth of something, of a statement. For instance, the question do you believe what the media and the politicians are saying is true? That means, do you admit to the truth of the statement of the politicians and the media? And that is one usage of the word belief, all right. You may or may not think that what you hear is true. However, the question, do you believe in the Lord Jesus? That means far more than, do you believe statements about Jesus? For you see, our Lord never asked the people to believe statements about him, however true those statements might have been. No, he asked the people to follow him, to live with him, to love him, and to trust him. And so the emphasis is always on him, the living person himself, 
nothing else, nothing less. Now, it is not uncommon for the on-the-fringe Christian to assume that Christianity is somehow helpful or useful. But as Christians, we should not think, first of all, of usefulness or helpfulness. God is there when I'm in the pickle. No, as Christians, we should think, first of all, of truth. And we know Christ's self-giving love as truth. He is real. His love for us is real. He loves us, he longs for us, and he calls us. And so we need to develop a mature faith. And we develop a mature and active faith when we realize that life is first and foremost a matter of relationships. Faith flourishes when there is a living relationship with Jesus Christ as Savior. And therefore, we may not let different nuances of the word faith interfere with our growing and maturing in the faith. For you see, what is faith? My brothers and sisters, yeah, you can give the Lord's answer. But what is faith? How do you explain it? Well, faith touches both the content and attitude. It means it attests to the truth to which we hold fast, and it reflects our ongoing trust, our ongoing love, loyalty, and obedience to God. And so in singing the credo, or in reciting the credo, we do both, and we need both. We attest to the content of what we say, and we say, this is really how it is in my life. For you see, this is important to remember and practice, because it is possible for someone to embrace all the right ideas, even to acknowledge them as true, and yet have a heart that is far from God. Long ago, the Lord God said through the prophet Isaiah, These people came, uh, come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship of me is made up only of rules taught by men. Isaiah 29, 13. Well, the Lord Jesus referred to this saying in Isaiah when he was asked why his disciples broke the tradition of the elders by not washing their hands before eating, remember? And the point is, we can use correct theological language and at the same time, neither fear nor love God because we have not been overwhelmed by him. And without a love for God and his Christ written on and in our hearts, we will only regurgitate the rules taught by man. The Apostle James reminds us that demons have that correct knowledge of God too. Nevertheless, they remain demons. And so the knowledge of faith is not an end in itself, my brothers and sisters. There also must be a right attitude. And that attitude is one of trust. You and I will trust only if we know Jesus as Savior who is 
intimately involved in our lives. And so growth in the Christian faith and in the Christian way of life happens when we come to love and honor and trust and fear and thank and obey our God. And that raises the question for every one of us, how committed to the Lord am I? Well, it is so true that we only commit as much of ourselves as the Lord to the Lord as we know ourselves. Let me repeat that. It is so true that we only commit as much of ourselves to the Lord as we know of ourselves. In practice, that means the more we know of ourselves to be sinners, the more we commit ourselves to the Savior. And the more we know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, the more we can commit our lives to Him. For you see, all of life is a root and a process and a faith. I should say that differently. All of life is a root, en route to the final destination. And it has a process. And faith is no exception to that. And therefore, as we mature in the faith, it can happen that we don't fully grasp a certain aspect of the Christian faith at a given point in our time, in our lives, and a stage, a certain stage in life. But you see, the things that we do not yet fully understand should not now stop us from being committed. For if we don't understand everything about the faith, that should not trouble us because the Lord will clear up for us as we mature and as we continue to grow in the faith, he will clear things up for us why things are the way they are. But we cannot and we must not want a way to commit ourselves to the Lord any longer. For we confess, and the Bible teaches, that Jesus is Savior. And you see, that is a true biblical statement. But it's got to be more than a statement. The point is now, where in your life lies the connection between saying that the Lord Jesus is the Savior and acting upon it, doing something with it? Well, that connection, my brothers and sisters, is a living relationship with the living person, Jesus the Christ, our Savior and our priest forever. There is no peace with God if you seek your help elsewhere, because salvation is not to be sought or found in anyone else but the Lord Jesus Christ, as we also heard this morning. And that biblical truth may sound rather exclusive, so be it. But let us embrace it with thankfulness for the simple reason that it is the gospel truth on which our faith and our well-being depends now and forever. Amen.